Thank you very much, Sean, and uh, thanks to the music team. Really appreciate your ministry. And I agree, Sean. Uh, I like Pastor Dean much more than Dr. Taylor. I really do. So, And if you've been a pastor or you are a pastor, you know that that is uh, not only a title, it's a term of endearment, or at least hopefully it is for, for you. It is for me. I feel that way and uh, reflects the, the relationship and the ministry that, that a pastor has with people. And I do thank you and we thank you for this opportunity. And uh, we'll say more. I'll talk more in the days ahead about what all this looks like and what it means and just some of what I envision uh, for God using us here. But I do want to say that the ministry of the Word really is uh, a centerpiece um, of what happens here. I know that is for you in the life of your church, isn't it? Uh, looking together as, as a group, as a church family, as a body, to the Word of God. And uh, that is my heart, and that is my passion, uh, is preaching the Word and sharing the Word. And so uh, we're going to do that today. So I invite you to turn with me to the book of Titus, the little book of Titus in the New Testament. And when I was with you in January, uh, we, we started talking about this little book and um, with the theme, uh, learning, learning and Living. And uh, tell you what, I'm going to back up one slide there. There we go. Um, the theme of learning and living. And so the, the reason for that is that the uh, writer of this little letter to the man Titus, so the writer, the Apostle Paul, in writing to uh, a man in ministry named Titus who was shepherding a flock on the island of Crete, uh, Paul wanted Titus to help those people not only learn truth, not only learn about God, not, not only learn about Jesus, and about the Christian life, but to actually live it. And we've talked about closing that gap between what we know and how we live. And so today we are going to be looking at chapter 2, and I want to, to think of it in, in these terms with the idea of healthy living. What is a healthy person, or specifically related to what we're looking at here today, what is a healthy Christian? It's not merely somebody who knows about Christianity or knows their way around the Bible, uh, can find Titus or can find Habakkuk. (laughs) Being able to do that doesn't make you a healthy Christian, does it? It's not enough for us to just learn Bible stories or memorize verses or go to services or Sunday school or even take Bible classes Or even to to go to a Christian college and and be able to pass doctrinal exams. It's not enough just to read your Bible every day. If that's all you do, then you can't really say that you are a healthy Christian. See, a healthy Christian not only learns the Word of God, but is changed by the Word of God. The Word changes how you live. And here in Titus chapter 2, Paul is emphasizing the importance of knowing and doing what God's Word says with this imagery, this this picture, we might say, of being healthy. And he told them that their beliefs should be healthy, but he also instructed them and exhorted them that their behavior should also be healthy. I'm going to read for us Titus chapter 2. It's not a long chapter. It's, uh, what is it, 15 verses long? 
But that'll give us the, the bigger picture, and then we, we're going to focus in on the first couple of verses here this morning. So follow along as I read Titus chapter 2, starting with verse 1. This is Paul speaking to Titus. He says, But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. I'll stop just for a second. When you see that word sound, think healthy. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound, in faith, in love, in patience. The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters and to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. I tried to highlight a little bit as I read the word sound that Paul uses repeatedly. And it's a word that means to be healthy. And I'm going to say the Greek word because I think it will help you to catch the idea here. The Greek word is Hugaino, you might kind of hear the idea of hygiene in there, right? That's how it would carry over into our, our language, the idea of hygiene. That's what this word is, and that, that's what it means. It means to be healthy, and, and it's translated here in, in what I'm reading to you as sound. And, and so Paul actually used this in chapter 1, verse 9 and verse 13 to talk about doctrine. So healthy doctrine in chapter 1. We see it in chapter 2, in verse 2, and actually in verse 2 it modifies three words, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. So we would count that three times, and then again in verse 8. So an equivalent of seven times Paul uses this word to be healthy in, in these few verses. I think he's trying to tell us something. What do you think? So when, when Scripture is repetitive like that, it's highlighting an idea, and it should capture our attention. 
And that's what Paul was doing for Titus. He was saying, hey, Titus, I want you to teach these people. I want you to urge these people not just to know, not just to have healthy doctrine, but to practice healthy living in a way that corresponds to that. In fact, he tells Titus in chapter 2, verse 1, speak or teach the things which are proper for sound doctrine. The word proper means suitable or appropriate. It fits. And then he presents this list of topics for Titus to teach on, and they all have to do with how to live. So the things that he's talking about in verse 1, which are proper for sound or healthy doctrine, are attitudes and actions that fit or go with, are suitable for and appropriate to the truth with right belief. Belief determines behavior, and behavior should align with what we believe. So if we put all those ideas together, attitudes and actions that are healthy and fit with healthy doctrine, we get our our focus in these verses, which is healthy living for Christians. Healthy living for Christians. Now, we're going to work through this description, um, verse 1 all the way down through uh, verse 10. Not all of it this morning, though, because I want to stop and think about almost every single one of these descriptions. So we'll work our way through it over the next, next few Sundays, as God allows. But, but do, we, we do recognize that Paul categorized this into older men, older women, young men, or young women, young men, and, and servants. So if this morning we're talking about a group that you're not in, let's keep in mind that these qualities are good for all of us. They're not all unique to that stage of life or to that gender. These are character qualities that all of us can, can grow in and can practice. A few of them are unique to that, that category, but most of them apply to all of us in some way. But, but I would also say it's good for us to be concerned for the spiritual growth of others, isn't it? Um, so if I'm hearing about something related to, to young men and I'm an older man or to women and I'm, I'm male, I should be thinking in terms of, wow, that, I, I want that for my, my, my brothers in Christ or my sisters in Christ. I want to pray for them about that. I want to encourage. I want to cultivate that in the life of our church and life of my fellow Christians. But also I'm going to ha- ask you to think in another direction. I think it's very important for us to not only look inward, but also to look outward. Because as you look at these qualities, it's important to keep in mind that, that we are here not just to grow and be healthy as a body, as a church, but also to share in the goodness that God has given to us and to talk about the grace that God has shown to us and to help other people who aren't here this morning, uh, who may be maybe within a quarter mile or a half a mile or a mile of, of this location, or maybe somebody that you work with or go to school with or, or sit next to in a meeting. By God's grace, lost people can become this kind of person. And that's what God wants, isn't it? So keep that in mind as well as, as we talk through this. Uh, looking at verse 2, um, he, he says that the older men, well, who's that? Who are the older men? I don't know if this is, what, this is what, exactly what Paul was thinking, but there were some categories that were in use during this time in history, the first century. The Greek physician Hippocrates 
described stages of life. And he used Greek words, terms, for each of these. And Paul used one of those words here when he refers to older men. And the term that he used refers to men who are 50 or more years old. So the younger men here would be those who are under 50. The older women, in verse 3, again, in that culture, often referred to those who are past the age of having and bringing up children. And young women were those who were before child-rearing age. So we don't have to think of it in those categories, but, but in Paul's mind there may have been some kind of a, a category, set of categories like that. But, but we can think in terms of, of stages of life and qualities that apply to us. So if, if, if I'm talking about the older men this morning or if I'm talking about the older women um, next time and you're not in that category, so I'm not an old man, I'm not an older woman, well, think this way. What do I want to be when I grow up? What do I want to be like as I mature, as I get older? Because these are, these are goals for you to have in ways that God can shape you as well. So let's talk about healthy living for Christian. What does healthy living look like for a Christian? And specifically in verse 2, for a Christian man, there are six qualities that we will look at. And, and honestly, I, I will see how far we can go with this this morning. But we'll at least get started on them. And, and I would ask you to, to, to keep in mind as we think about them that these are ways for you to grow. These are areas maybe to be on guard. So ways to grow, areas to be on guard in your life, but then also ways that you can give hope, gospel, blessing to others. And the first one is live soberly. Live soberly. And you see it right there in verse 2, that the older men would be sober. So how can you live in a way that corresponds to and fits with the truths that we know from the Word of God, who God is and what God is like and what His will is for us? How can you live in a way that aligns with that? Well, first of all, right, right up front, he says, be sober, be sober. Now, there are a couple of ways we could take this. One is to say, well, he's talking about being serious, being somber, right? Being, being dignified, being grave. It's probably not what he's referring to here. He's not talking about being sober in that sense, right? Being the kind of person that isn't very fun, right? But there's another way that this can be taken. And that is that it means to not be under the influence of alcohol or to be intoxicated. And that probably is the way that Paul meant this. And I find it interesting that back in, in chapter 1, where he is talking about uh, the pastors that Titus would choose to be in place or the elders, that he, he, he gives a, a very similar requirement in chapter 1, verse 7, about in the middle, not given to wine. And then, uh, a couple of verses later, or the next verse, actually, that we're looking at in chapter 2, verse 3, older women, that they not be given to much wine. I think we could legitimately understand from this that Paul knew that there was a problem in Crete. There was an alcohol problem in Crete. And he's identifying it here. And so he's saying right up front to the men, all right, guys, if this has been a characteristic of your life, that you are under the influence and you kind of live that way, that does not characterize a Christian. That is not what God wants for his children or for, for believers. 
the harmful and addictive effects of alcohol must have been a problem in Crete. And Paul was urging Titus, their spiritual leader, their shepherd, to teach them that believers need to change and to be different. And I know we're getting right into a very practical topic here this morning, aren't we? But we're just following the text. We're just walking through the text here, and this is what comes up in front of us today. And that's, that's actually one of the, the benefits of working through a passage of Scripture, is that uh, you don't get to pick and choose and avoid the, the uncomfortable issues, right? So here it is. It's next, and so, so let's talk about it. Being sober means you avoid being under the influence of alcohol. And this is very different from the prevailing attitude and practice in our culture today, transferring it to our culture today. A little bit of, of background, the wine used in the first century in Paul and Titus's time was fermented, as it is today. But then, normally, for daily use, it was diluted with water. Some people used it undiluted for the taste and for the intoxicating effect. So that's why there are warnings against it in Scripture. Today's alcoholic beverages are not diluted, but they are used full strength or even distilled to increase the alcohol content, which intensifies the effect, which is influence leading to intoxication. Even the secular world recognizes the danger of being under the influence. And so operating a motor vehicle, well, OWI, Operating while intoxicated or under the influence is a crime. So this is an area where Christians uh, have, for some Christians, I would say a lot of Christians have, let me back up and say it this way. This is an area, the issue of alcohol, is is an area where, where some Christians have great concern. They're very concerned about this, have strong positions and convictions and, and all of that, and rightfully so. Um, on the other hand, um, it is also an area of controversy for some Christians. And I'll say it this way. Christians have different views on whether believers should drink alcohol at all. My purpose this morning is to show you what this text is saying. So I'm just going to derive what I say from this text of Scripture, not do a full-blown topical study. And this text is telling us Christian men should be sober not influenced by intoxicating substances. I remember those three little terms that I, I shared with you in, in passing a little bit. So as we think about these topics, think in terms of how you can grow, ways to be on guard, and then what you can give to others in connection with this. And I'm going to jump, first of all, to, to the idea of, of being on guard. Because... We can come under the influence of even a physical substance without sometimes even meaning to. We can even come under the control by a substance without intending to, but it does happen. I want to give you an illustration. This is actually pretty personal, all right, for me. Uh, about a year and a half ago, my wife and I were riding our bikes, and we, we enjoy riding bikes together on the nice, beautiful bike trails that we have here in Iowa. And I fell. I won't go into how I fell. I wish it were some glamorous, exciting, you know, racing crash that I had, but it wasn't. I just fell. I fell over on my bike. And I hit my shoulder pretty hard on the, on the concrete bike path. And it became very painful. 
and I had the scans and all that, found out I had torn rotator cuff and some other things going on in there. But I, I, I was waiting until the end of the school semester um, to, to have surgery. I had to have surgery on my shoulder. And so I had to wait a couple of months for that. And it became excruciatingly painful. And maybe some of you have had uh, a shoulder problem or even an injury, and it's literally one of the most painful things you, know, you can have as, as a physical um, issue. And, and so during that time, it was so bad I couldn't sleep, and it was just hard to function, and so my doctor prescribed some pain medication for me, and it was strong pain medication. It was an opioid. And so I took it very carefully um, over that period from the time until I could have the surgery. Well, then after you have the surgery, the pain continues. And so the doctor prescribes, my orthopedic surgeon prescribed, again, opioids. So I was taking those uh, over that time period, and, and the time came uh, for, for me to taper off. And what happened during that time was very interesting. In my mind, there was this, there was this mental, a little bit of a mental struggle, because uh, almost in a very subtle way, opioids provide this cushion, this cushion of, of relief, this cushion of relaxation in your life. I'm not talking about so much a physical cushion, but like a mental, psychological cushion. And, and you, you begin to depend on that. And even physically, your body builds this dependence on this substance in your body. So, so when he began tapering me off, I began to realize that in my mind, I was struggling with letting go of that, that cushion and even began having some, some physical symptoms. And, and by God's grace, I was able, able to get, get through that. And I wouldn't say that I was addicted. I'm not going to use that term. But I, I was even trying to read and understand about it. And, and your body and your mind can develop a dependence unintentionally, right? A dependence on something like that. And, and that is my point, that we can use something even in, in a totally legitimate way, a completely permissible way and come under the influence and even the control of a substance, and it can affect you mentally and physically before you realize it. And, and we know for many people that can and does lead to addiction and destruction. I knew a pastor. He was in his 60s. He was under a lot of stress. He couldn't sleep. His doctor suggested that he drink wine to help him relax. He did become addicted. He, it became a pattern of, of intoxication for him. He lost his ministry. It hurt his family. By the grace of God, he recovered. Praise God for that. But a lot of damage was done. And this is what I mean by, as Christian men, we must be on guard and be aware of our vulnerability and the destruction that, that, whether it's alcohol or some other substance, can have in our lives. Now, let's think in terms of what we have to give. You might be immediately thinking, I don't have a problem with that. Praise God. Praise God. Again, how many people within a half a mile or a mile of us right now do have a problem with some kind of substance? Who do you work with? Who do you go to school with? Who do you live next to that you may know about or maybe don't know about who is struggling with this and who need to be rescued? Look again at verse 11, chapter 2 of Titus, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. 
Does that include your neighbor, your coworker, the person walking down the street out here that may be struggling with alcohol or some other substance? All men teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live. What's, what's the next word in your Bible? Can you say it out loud? Soberly. There it is. There it is. Same word. Same word. And it probably includes things other than the substances I'm talking about, but it certainly does include those, doesn't it? So, so the grace of God addresses that issue, and it gives hope to people who are bound and held captive in that way. So the gospel delivers people from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin. And once you have the power of the resurrected Christ in you, you can overcome controlling substances in your life by allowing Jesus Christ to rule your life. And there may be someone who walks in the shadow of this church on a regular basis who needs to hear this good news. So as we think about making disciples of all the nations and sharing the gospel in our community, keep this in mind. And know that God's grace can make that kind of difference in a person's life. Back to young men. Yeah, this is for the older men. But again, what do you want to be when you grow up? If you are a younger man or a teenage boy, do you want to be under the influence of substances, controlled by substances, or do you want to be sober? Decide now. Curiosity leads to habit. And habit leads to control. And Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be under the influence of spirits, small s, spirits, but be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Be controlled, be under the influence by the Holy Spirit of God. So remember what this is about, living in a way that fits with what we know of God and who we are as his people. So we go to verse 2 again, and we see a second way for men to practice healthy Christian living. He uses the word reverent. So verse 2, that the older men be sober and reverent. And I'm calling this live respectably. If you want to live in a healthy way as a Christian man, live respectably. The word reverent, we think in terms of like, like being a reverent person, showing reverence, but the idea of the word is to, to be worthy of someone else's respect, to be respectable. One commentary says this is a personal dignity and seriousness of purpose. So you have, you have a purpose in life and you are committed to that, and, and this invites honor and respect. It doesn't mean that you have an air of superiority. It doesn't mean that you hold people at a distance. It doesn't mean that you can't have fun. But it does mean that your behavior and your choices and how you interact with people give them a reason to respect you. And this, this grows over time, right? And let's again talking about the growing side of this. So growing in, in living respectably, uh, this grows over time. You start out as a young man, and you develop a pattern and, and a reputation, and people see how you live, and, and they have respect for you, not just because you demand it or you think you're entitled to it, but because you earn it, right? You earn respect, and you become someone that other people have respect for. 
You are consistent. You have a life of consistency. People observe you, and especially in the Christian setting, your life is consistent with the Word of God, and that's the pattern of your life. You, sure, you make mistakes, and, and, and you have failures, and you sin, but the, the direction of your life and the pattern of your life is one of consistency with the Word of God. You are reliable. People can trust you. You are predictable. Boringly so sometimes. I don't mean just you're a predictable person, but but people know that, okay, in this situation, here's what that guy's going to do in a good way. They're not wondering, okay, is he going to go the wrong way or the right way, or I'm not sure if he's going to be mad or be nice, you know, just kind of this unpredictable, volatile person. No, there's a predictability about you that people have respect for. Well, let's think of the guarding side. How can Christian men lose respect? How could we lose this this quality of respect or respectability? By making foolish choices, sinful choices, um, having a problem with anger that's out of control. We can lose the respect of our children by blowing up at them. We, we can lose the respect of people that we communicate with by sending off harsh emails to them. So, so we can lose that respectability, and it doesn't take much. Falling prey to scams and schemes, being impulsive, and if it looks good, I'm going to do it, and being gullible and naive rather than maybe seeking some wisdom from somebody who could guide you. Being unfaithful to your spouse. Neglecting your family. Four, even good things like work, hobbies, video games, sports. You have to be on guard, right? But on the positive side, be serious about your walk with God. Be a responsible person who is on time and dependable and honest. Be the respectable person where you work. Be the person who is on time, the person who can be relied on, the person who is honest. Have enough self-discipline by the grace of God to avoid fleshly indulgences. Get advice before making major financial decisions. And think of how your choices will impact others because they do. Being respectable includes remembering you're an example and others follow you, whether you know it or not. That's something I'm always amazed by is how people are watching our lives. Our kids, younger people. People at work are watching us. Neighbors, they know. They know how we live. It's amazing. So being respectable. And, and I think that's part of the giving part of this. So growing and guarding and giving. So, so realizing that you are an example and you want to be the kind of example that other people can follow. One of the churches where I pastored, um, so if we're just getting acquainted, uh, my wife and I, uh, served in, in three churches in pastoral ministry. Um, and uh, so I was a youth pastor in Indianapolis for four years. I pastored a church in Wisconsin for nine and a half years, and then a church in South Carolina for about 12 years. And in one of those churches, there was a family, and, and they were a family of professionals, and in some ways, a family of attorneys. So there was a man the father, kind of the patriarch, and he was a very successful attorney. He had his own law firm. And he had three daughters. Two of those daughters had law degrees, and they were, their names were on the, 
uh, what do you call it, the, the signboard or whatever for, the, for the, the law firm. So dad, two daughters. The other daughter had her PhD in, I think, speech pathology, something like that. So she was somewhat accomplished as well. And then uh, one of the daughters married a man who became an attorney as well. So he was a partner in the law firm. <laughs> this was a high-powered family. And they were very successful. They drove gorgeous cars, and they lived in very nice homes. And it's like walking into a palace sometimes, some of the houses we walked into. I mean, just, just beautiful, right? Very successful. And they had influence in the church, just not, not in a, a way that was a problem, but in a, in a positive way. And so I'm, I'm going to focus on, on the father, on the man. Uh, he, he was influential. He was prosperous. He had a very strong, kind of a leading type of personality, and let me tell you how people described him, and this is how my wife and I remember him. I heard these words from people. You ready? He is one of the most gracious men I know. He was very kind. He could be strong when it was time to be strong. He could lead when it was time to lead. But he was very kind. He used his influence for good. He served in the church. He was a very generous giver. And by generous, I mean financially. He was a very generous giver. And, and I would say that, that that was a respectable man, right? A respectable man. And he didn't have to be. He could get along in life without being that way. Just kind of carve his own way. But he used that for good. And I think that's the idea. Regardless of whatever pinnacle of influence and prosperity you may reach one day, wherever you are in life, just having that as a, as a goal of, of being respectable. Be the kind of man that people respect and be an example that they can follow. We see here a third way to practice healthy Christian living. And uh, these are all in verse 2. So look again at Titus chapter 2, verse 2, that the older men be sober, reverent, and temperate. Temperate. Now, sometimes we associate that with being sober, right? Temperance. Um, but it, it means something different here, and we're going to call this living sensibly, living sensibly. The word temperate has to do with the mind. In fact, it could be translated having a sound mind. Some translations use the word sensible, sensible. This is the word that was used to describe the demon-possessed man that Jesus healed. When it says he returned to his right mind. So this is right-mindedness. Now, I want you to notice something. Paul used this word in verse 2 to address older men. You'll see it again in verse 5, directed to older women teaching younger women. Now, in the New King James translation I'm using here, it uses a different word. It uses the word discreet. But it's the same word. To be sensible. So this applies to, to older men. It applies to all women because he's saying older women should teach younger women to be sensible. So applies to all women. Uh, in, um, in verse 6, uh, likewise exhort the young men to be sober-minded. There it is. Same word, right? Same original word, sober-minded. So it applies to, to all men, right? The older men and the younger men. So guess what? This, this applies to all Christians, doesn't it? It applies to all Christians. The idea is to use your head to exercise sound judgment. 
Immature men make rash decisions and live by impulse. I see it, I want it, I feel it, I do it. Somebody messes with me, I react to that. Men who live sensibly use good judgment and make wise choices. And they're not ruled by their passions or by impulse or by pressure from media or marketing or celebrities, but by principle and by truth. They measure opportunities and options against the ruler of God's word and spiritual wisdom. Men who live sensibly are careful, and they are intentional with what influences their minds. So again, think in terms of growing and guarding and giving. So, so I am on guard. If I'm a sensible man, it means I'm on guard with what I bring into my mind. I'm careful with what I read. I'm careful with what I watch. I enjoy reading. We watch a few things together, my wife and I do, but I enjoy reading. And uh, I, I like to use my library access to download ebooks or Kindle books from the library and, and read them. So I, I do a lot of reading that way, just all kinds of categories, genres of, of reading. And sometimes you can check a book out, check by check it out, I mean kind of look at it, investigate it, you know, judge a book by its cover, maybe read the summary. And it, and it looks interesting and it seems like, okay, this is going to be clean, you know, this is going to be okay for me to read. But then you get a, a few pages in or sometimes even a few chapters in, all of a sudden, there, there's a scene or there's a description. You're like, uh-oh, <laughs> um, am I going to keep going or not? Should I let myself continue to bring these images and these ideas into my mind or not? And we all have to decide where that line is, but there is a line where we would say, you know what, I need to back out. I need to return it. I need to switch. I need to turn it off. I need to stop. And be on guard with what we bring into our mind. The same is true of philosophies and ideas and, and images. And, and you know it's all streaming into our lives. And so we have to guard ourselves against what we allow ourselves to think that can produce an unhealthy mind. We need to shape our thinking with a regular intake of the Word of God. It's like you are what you eat. So you, you should eat in somewhat of a, a healthful way. Well, the same is true with our minds, right? To have a diet that feeds our minds with truth. And, and the, the most important source of, of, of nourishment for our minds is the truth of God's Word. That's why we need to have a regular intake, just like eating meals. Regular intake of the Word of God. Just reading a few verses or getting into a pattern of reading the Scriptures. Because our minds need that and our, and our minds need to be shaped by that. And then cultivating a healthy imagination. Paul said it this way, think thoughts that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy, Philippians 4.8. So those form a filter for our minds and our imaginations, but also we can be proactive and think in those areas, in positive ways as well. We also must guard ourselves from unhealthy and poisonous influences with our minds. So men 
who live sensibly and are careful and intentional with what influences their minds can practice healthy Christian living. I'm going to push pause right there. I do want to say this. We'll return to, uh, to these verses. But I would like us to recognize that these qualities that we've just looked at, as well as the ones that we will look at together, reflect the heart and life of someone perfectly. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. He was all of this, wasn't he? So when you look at these qualities and you think, ah, how can anybody ever live like that? One did, and that's Jesus. And yes, he was God. He is God. He came as the Son of God. But he did it as a man. And he did it so that he could pay the penalty for our shortcomings, so that he could pay the price of God's just wrath against our sins and our sinfulness. He lived perfectly and obeyed God completely so he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins when he died on the cross, didn't he? And Paul talks about beholding his image, beholding the image of Christ, so that we are what? Changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of God. So when you look at these qualities, don't think, ah, you know, where do I even start? I could never be like that. Well, look at Christ. Think of him. Read the Gospels. Read the story of Jesus. And look at what he said and how he lived and what he valued and how he responded to temptation and how he treated people and and the things that were on his mind. And then just pray for the Holy Spirit, as Paul says, even as by the Spirit of God, to transform you into that image as you behold it in Jesus Christ. Because as you focus on Christ, this is what begins to form in you. And yes, we make choices. And yes, we turn away. And yes, we we embrace new ways of thinking and new ways of acting. But ultimately, it's about being like Jesus and following him. Thank you, Father, for the time we've had in your word this morning. And we pray that you would use your truth to shape us. And Lord Jesus, we do thank you for loving us and giving yourself for us. Thank you for the grace of God that brought you to give your life for us. In Jesus' name, amen.